We are reading in Matthew chapter 28 from verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. And in Matthew 28:16 it says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even to the end of the age. And in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it talks about how Jesus, it, it gives a sequence of different people that he revealed himself to. And at one point, he revealed himself to over 500 people at one time. Many believe that that 500 was among the group of disciples when he issued this charge. It says that in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. doubtful. They worshipped him because... He was God come in the flesh. There was no mistake about it. They worshipped Him. You'll see in the Scriptures, any time there was an angel or a prophet, if somebody began to worship them, they would immediately stop and tell the person to stop worshipping them. But in this case, Jesus never stopped because Jesus was God come in the flesh. But what's interesting here is that while some are worshipping Him, it says, but some were doubtful. It says, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some were doubtful. So when they saw him, some remained doubtful. <clears throat> if you ever think that only, if I could only see, then I would believe. I don't know what would make you think that. The testimony of Scripture is actually very different. That many times people saw and they did not believe. <clears throat> the disciples saw Jesus and they did not believe when he had risen from the dead. Seeing is not necessarily believing. Because what happens is, even by seeing, we will explain things away. We will often rationalize things away. And that's why Jesus said in John chapter 20, But blessed is he who does not see and yet believes. In John chapter 20, verse 29. Blessed is he who does not see and yet believes. We are more blessed when we don't see and yet believe. Then he goes on to say, and he says, He spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. This is in in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is so comforting, if we can get a hold of it, that all authority has been granted to him. That when we go in his name, we are going in the name of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority has been granted to him. Everything in heaven and on earth, throughout the entire universe, all authority has been granted to Jesus Christ. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, go therefore. Sometimes in missionary conferences, they'll focus on the go. But actually... Greek scholars tell us that the emphasis here is on the making of disciples. We are to make disciples as we go. We are to make disciples. We will look at the parallel portion in Mark in just a minute. 
where Mark says, speaks about preaching the gospel. But here he says you are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. The key is making disciples. In order to make disciples, there must be evangelism. In order to make disciples, there has to be more than evangelism. There has to be baptism as well. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the name of. So he doesn't say in the names of. He says in the name of. It is the singular. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are one. Part of making disciples is baptism. If you've not been baptized in water after believing, you really ought to be. You may say, well, this is kind of an embarrassing thing. Good. Be embarrassed. Get baptized. I was baptized in a swimming pool, in a Christian conference, and, uh, and um, uh, I had been a believer for, for about a year and a half or two years, and I was baptized. The first opportunity I got, nobody had shared with me the importance of it before that. It is an important thing to do. We are to make disciples. It is hard to make disciples when we ourselves are walking in disobedience. Because he says, you are to make disciples by preaching to them, by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and teaching them to observe all that I command you. How can I teach one to observe if I myself am not not even going to observe? How can I teach someone to be baptized if I myself am not going to be baptized? Every case in Scripture where baptism occurred, it occurred after believing. They believed and they were baptized. In the Scriptures, you will always see baptism coupled immediately to the day that they believed they were baptized. Because they understood baptism. There were many baptisms. There were baptisms, for example, in Judaism, there was proselyte baptism. When someone became a Jew, they were baptized. There was John's baptism. That's why here he's saying, you see in the scripture, they were baptized immediately because they understood baptism. In our culture, people don't understand the commitment of baptism anymore. And so that's why it doesn't necessarily hurt to wait till the day after or the month after or, the, or, or something or some short time period. But you shouldn't prolong this thing. Baptism is a way of making a commitment, standing there and saying, I commit to follow Jesus and I am able to witness this in the waters of baptism. The scripture says that it is a testimony to the angels. It talks about baptism being a testimony to the angels. In other words, in the heavenly places, they make note of it, that this person has committed themselves to follow Jesus. If you've not been baptized, it is very easy process here. You can just go up after service and, and uh, uh, tell them you want to be baptized. And they will put you on a list and you can be baptized. So, you, so go up after one of the church services and tell them that you've never been baptized after believing and you want to be. You'll get on the list and you'll get baptized. It's quick. It's easy. Some churches, they'll put you through baptism classes. In other words, that they want to make sure you believe. They, here, it's a much easier, simpler process. They will ask you if you believe. They'll ask you a few simple questions. If you answer in the affirmative, so I'm giving you the answer, that, then, then you can be baptized. It is something you ought to do. He says, teaching them to observe all that I command you. It is important that we teach that we teach, that in the body of Christ there is teaching. This happens in 
studies like this. This happens in, in morning worship services when there's, when there's sermons. This happens in small group Bible studies. There is teaching that goes on. It is lifelong teaching. It never stops. It's not like, well, I've been through teaching for four years and I'm done. No, it never stops. We are always learning from one another. Teaching them. And this is why it's important. It's not just evangelism. It's not going just in evangelizing. It is making disciples. Part of making disciples is baptizing. Part of making disciples is teaching. And that's why each person has a role. Teaching can be working with kids and teaching them. My children went through the Awana program. The, the approved workers are not ashamed. How many here have gone through the Awana's program? Did I say this right? Yeah, and, and uh, my, my kids loved it. My two boys, they used to wear their little vests and get these little pins. And they, these, these people would sit with them and have them memorize Scripture verses. And they'd win candy or something or another. But people taught them. This is where you can participate. Everybody has a role in the body of Christ. This is important to do. Some people are teaching adults. Some people are doing other things in the body of Christ. This is where you participate. Very often, let me warn you what happens. Young people get tied into campus groups on campus, which is wonderful. I got saved myself through the Navigators Campus Ministry. Not here at Rice, but when I was in college. On another campus, I got saved through that ministry. I love college ministry. Had it not been for Navigators Campus Ministry, I don't know that I I would have ever gotten saved. They reached out to me. This is important. But unless we learn to relate to a local church, what happens very often is students graduate and they're like, I don't have any community anymore. Everything was around this this campus group. You need to learn to relate to the body of Christ. And this is why we offer to you the body of Christ. You want to participate? You can participate working with the youth, with children on Sundays or on Wednesday nights. You can participate. There's a way to do this. And then you you get integrated with the life of the church. You want to find jobs, you get integrated with the life of the church and you start serving somebody. You're going to see a lot of people who who own a lot of businesses. They're going to see you serving and they're like, I want to hire this person. I've had college students go on mission trips, college students from this class go on mission trips, and then people who own companies come back and say, who is that student? We saw him serving so wonderfully on the mission field. They've really got it together and they want to hire that person when they graduate. It's good to have people coming to you to hire you because you demonstrate service. People want to hire people who know how to serve. And it's through this we get the life of the body of Christ. And we understand that that the church is not just 18 to 22 year olds. The church has got the new life of those who are born all the way up to There's funerals every week or two weeks in this church because there's old people that are dying. And this is part of the progression of life. And you learn about the body of Christ and you learn about life itself. And he says you go and you're to do this. You're to make disciples. This is what he's called us to do. Not Not every one of us is an evangelist. All of us are to evangelize, but we're not an evangelist. Let me tell you what an evangelist does. An evangelist speaks and people instantly get saved. It happens all the time. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, could get in an elevator, start talking to somebody. Before they reach the floor, that person is on their knees accepting the Lord. That guy had the gift of evangelism. Billy Graham, the gift of evangelism. The man would speak a very simple message 
And 5,000 people would come walking up. I mean, the, an amazing gift of evangelism. Not all of us have that gift, but we are all called to evangelize. You know what makes me really excited? And I, I, I've seen this go on in my home, and I just love it. Some student will ask me some question. And before I can answer, some other student starts sharing with them about you know, what they need to do and, things, and, and how to get closer to the Lord and things like this. And I just sit back and I watch students share with them. I'm like, I'm not even needed. You don't need me. And I love it. And I get up and I walk away. They're in very good hands. These students are doing what I, saying exactly what I would have said. Each of us is called to evangelize. Now, all of us are not going to have that gift of evangelism where there's people just, you know, falling down all around us, getting saved. But we all have some gift. Some gift. Sometimes it's working with newborns in the, in the nursery. Sometimes it's working with just little kids. Sometimes it's, it's teaching in, in, in different classes. Sometimes it's a gift of service, gift of help. This is part of making disciples. And that we have a place for people to plug in and to do this sort of thing. And he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, even to the end of the age. I am forever with you. Jesus never leaves us. Now let's look at a parallel portion in Mark. So this is in Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. And we're going to start reading from verse 15. No, no let, let, let's start reading from verse 15. Yes. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go into all the world and preach the gospel from all creation, to, to all creation. Preach the gospel. So this is very much a part of it. And let me tell you something. This is the sustenance to any ministry. If we forget to preach the gospel, or if we think, well, this is just a teaching time, and we forget to preach the gospel, that there are people around us that will get saved, it will grow stale really fast. And I've seen this in churches where the gospel stops being preached and, and, and they just sort of turn in on themselves and it's just all about us. It's the new believers coming in, that new life. I am so excited that our pastor is passionate about people going and missions going and activity going from this church that is preaching the gospel. You know, a couple of years ago, he, he started this program. It was... Uh, um, uh, 10,000 by 2020, wasn't it? Isn't, isn't that what it is? 10,000 by 2020. So I think, so in the last two years, so we have till 2020, we want to have 10,000 people through ministry from this church get saved. 10,000 people through ministry from this church get saved. That's why every time someone from this class gets saved, I record their name and I send it into the church office, and it just adds to the list. There's been about 4,000 people in the last two years. So our slope is actually, you know, we're going to surpass this. About 4,000 in the last couple of years. And we still have another four and a half years to go to hit the 10,000. But this is great to have targets like this. We want to see people saved. And then it's not just leaving them there. We are to make disciples. But if we lose sight of this, we will have lost out. We constantly must keep this in mind. So if you have a little Bible study group and you're really enjoying it, and everybody in there is saved, it's not going to flourish like it would if you're inviting in a friend 
to say, come and hear this Bible study. Just invite them in. All they can say is no. So when they say no, it hurts my feelings. Get over it. Get over it. Your feelings are going to be hurt all the time. If you want to serve Jesus, your feelings are going to be hurt because you're not serving man, you're not serving woman, you're serving God. We are obliged to invite people in. You've got a little community you like, you've got a church you like, invite somebody, bring them in. He says you are to go and you are to preach the gospel to all creation. You bring people into settings where the gospel can be preached. And then they ask you, what was, what was that guy talking about? And then you can begin to talk about it. You just share. If you say, well, I'm not an evangelist. I don't know what to say. Share what's happened in your life. I get invited to go and, and, and speak about uh, uh, and preach the gospel to unbelievers. What do I do? Every time I just tell my story about how I came from a Jewish home and I was in college and somebody shared Jesus with me and, and the verses that he shared with me, the very verses he shared with me, I share with them. I have all the slides. I have it slides on PowerPoint. I have it in my iPhone. I have it in my, my tablet. And I just bring up the slide. Here's the verses they shared with me. And I share it with them. And you know what often happens? They get saved just like I did. So, so you just share these verses because the Scriptures themselves are, allow, are able to, to speak people right through into getting saved. You can do it. And if they don't get saved, I just say, well, okay, I go on. I continue to do it. I continue to do it. And, I, and I'm not an evangelist in the sense that people just drop on their knees whenever I do this. Or that there's big altar calls. But I do it. You do this. Because without this, there's no new life. It's like a family. If a man and a woman get married and they can't have children, then God sustains them and fills them and uses them powerfully. But if they're able to have children and they don't, there will always be this root of selfishness there. God has allowed us to have children. Because when you have a child, you will learn that if you have selfishness, that's going to be broken. Because every time that that, that kid messes the diaper, you got to stop whatever you're doing and change them. And you get all dressed up and you looking good and you pick up this kid and they, and they vomit all over your clothes. And you were just like, I, it is just, he, you will break you of selfishness and you will always smell like curdled milk because they will always be vomiting down your back and you'll always have this, this, this diaper you're wiping your back up. This just happens. You have kids, you always smell like curdled milk. It's just part of life. And you get used to it, and this is... And I see it with my own daughter. When her kids kind of do this sort of thing, it just gives me a, kind of a good feeling <laughs> to see my daughter have to go through this now for somebody else. One day they, they, they won't be able to, to, to sleep well because they got this cough. And wherever you, you lie them down, there's this cough. So you, they've got to sit up. And so you put them on your shoulder and you sit there and this kid is sleeping on your shoulder. And, and you've got to stay up like this at night. And you're on the couch trying to sleep and you've got to keep this. This breaks you of your selfishness. It is the same in the body of Christ. When new believers come in, the ministry is not always turned toward us. It is toward, turned toward those who are among us that we must give out to. This is part of what it means to have life in the body of Christ. We can never lose sight of the fact that the key is to bring in the lost. To bring in the lost, to teach them, and to develop them so they are bringing in the lost. This is what brings in life. Just as children bring life into a family. And, and, and uh, children will embarrass you. 
I mean, you got these friends, they think you're all spiritual, and they come in and they see, hear your kids are, you know, saying things they probably ought not to say, or saying nasty things, or talking back to you, and it's kind of embarrassing. You know, I teach a Bible study. The kids are supposed to be good. They're just supposed to be reciting verses all day. And wait till they're teenagers. I mean, they will really embarrass you. But this is part of life. And then after a while, you're like, look, I am who I am, right? <laughs> That's it. You, there, you, you, there you see it. This is what life is. You bring people into your church. To have new believers there that are asking all sorts of questions is a good thing. It's a good thing. This is why he says to them, you, this, you're supposed to do this. Now, this portion in Mark is not found in some of the earliest Gospels. It's found in some of the later translations of the Gospel that we found. Nonetheless, let's just take it that this is what he's talking about. And let's look on. He says, uh, uh, then he goes on. He says in verse 16, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Again, in that day, Baptism was always, you look through the book of Acts, in every case, people got baptized, they were, people got saved, they were immediately baptized. Within the hour, they were baptized. Baptism was an indication that they had just gotten saved. In this culture, we wait, but it's not baptism that saves you. You'll say, well, it says here, those who have believed and have been baptized shall be saved. But then it goes on to say, and those who, but those who disbelieve shall be condemned. It doesn't say, but those who disbelieve and have not been baptized shall be condemned. It says, no, those who disbelieve. And this is a disbelief. This is not a... This is a... When a person has made a decision not to believe. They have heard and they have willingly decided not to believe. This is a disbelief. So, you, so this is... The reason he says those who have been saved and have been baptized. It's not baptism that saves us. It is belief that saves us. Remember the man on the cross. Jesus, he says, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said, you will be with me in, your, in, this, in my kingdom today. He didn't say, well, you're kind of out of luck because you're stuck on that cross and you can't be baptized. So we know because he says those who have disbelieved shall be condemned. He did not say those who have disbelieved and have not been baptized shall be condemned. Then he says these signs will accompany those who have believed. So if we look in verse 16, it says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Belief and baptism, this is an individual thing. An individual believes, makes a decision to believe. It is not a corporate thing, it is an individual thing. But then he says, these signs will accompany those. Not these signs will accompany him, but, those, but these signs will accompany those. In other words, you will see these signs within the worldwide body of Christ. You will see these signs manifest. He says, in my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We have examples of every one of these in the New Testament, except the drinking of deadly poison. But there's examples of that in the Old Testament, where they weren't hurt from drinking poison. Within the Scriptures, we have examples of all of that. We have examples of all of these in the New Testament. So within the body of Christ, you will see some that cast out demons. And I have seen this, and it happens. It, it, 
In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. So if you think that all of these should be manifest in every believer's life, go ahead and start picking up snakes. Tell me what happens. But there are examples. Paul was bitten by a viper. And he just picked it up and shook it off into a fire and they waited to see him die. In the book of Acts, he didn't die and then they thought he was a god. And he said, look, no no god here. But it, it garnered him a lot of respect. You will see this manifest somewhere within the body of Christ. This is what he's talking about. It is important that as believers we learn that we are to make disciples. Bringing in new believers is important for us. This brings life into the body of Christ and it is an act of selflessness that takes us away from our selfishness by bringing in a new believer. Now we can't just sit there like a stick in the mud in every service. We've brought a guest, so we've got to kind of be in our best behavior. You know, and we've got to try not to fall asleep during the service that we just invited them to. You have to somehow now serve another. And so you bring them to the coffee bar and you let them go first. And you bring them and you, it teaches us how to be selfless. You bring somebody along with you and this is how the body of Christ is built up. Let's turn to John, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to start reading from verse 30. John chapter 20, verse 30. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So, within John's Gospel, John brings forth seven signs in his Gospel. Just seven. He shows seven signs that Jesus did. Jesus, but it says there were many other signs that Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples. Many other signs, but he only records seven of them, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So in other words, he says, these seven signs are sufficient. That which is written in the Gospels, that which is recorded in the Gospels, is sufficient for one to believe that Jesus is the Christ, meaning the Messiah, meaning the Savior of all the earth, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The Scriptures are sufficient. If you look in the next chapter, in in John chapter 21, the the last verse there, it says uh, in verse 25, John chapter 21, verse 25, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which, if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus did a lot. If you record the number of days that are recorded in the Gospels, the number of days, how many days is, is some event recorded? Scholars have done this and they say it's between 75 and 80 days of Jesus' life. That's less than a summer of His life is recorded. And he happened to do a lot, including dying for the sins of all of humanity. Only one summer's worth of Jesus' life is recorded. 75 to 80 days. And he did all the things that are shown in the Gospel. But he did many other things. John says, I I don't think every book 
could contain what Jesus did. Because John knew nothing about transistors. <laughs> storing memory in bits. Uh, but in any case, just to, you know, you can see what I think about when, it, when I read this. Let's turn back to, to John chapter 20, though. He says, John chapter 20, verse 31, the last part of John chapter 20, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. That believing you may have life in His name. There is life in the name of Jesus. There is life in the name of Jesus. Why am I here? Why do I even exist? Because of Him. Because of Jesus. How come, how come I don't measure up? I mean, like, everybody else has it together except me. Has anyone ever, besides me, ever thought this about themselves? Okay. <laughs> All right. Why? Why does everybody else measure up? What about me? It's because of Him I live. Because of Him. What's my problem? Why am I even alive? I am alive because of Him. I mean... Is it even worth living? Yes, I live because of Him. What He does, He says, believing you have life in His name. We have life in the name of Jesus. We have life in the name of Jesus. That's what, it, that's what it's all about. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 19, in John chapter 14, verse 19, because I live, you shall live also. Because He lives, we live. We live because of Him. Do you see how this takes the pressure off of me? It's not about me anymore. It's not about me thinking that my life is kind of useless. Why am I even alive? You know, I'm just kind of taking up space on earth. I'm expelling all this carbon dioxide and, you know, contributing to anthropogenic global warming. I mean, why am I even here? Because of Him. I live because of Him. We have life in His name. Because I live, you shall live also, Jesus said in John 14, verse 19. Because I live, you shall live also. This is why I am here. This is why I do not commit suicide. This is why I am alive. This is why I don't take my own life. This is why I get up and I go to work. Because He lives, I live also. This is why I am about the work that He has for me. Because He lives, I live also. It is in service to Him. Do you see? It takes the pressure off of us. It is no longer about me and my own little pity party. I live because He lives. I live because He lives. Because I live, you shall live also. That's why. That's why you're alive. Because He wants you alive and you live for Him. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about my feelings that, oh, I don't measure up. You know, this can happen to anybody. You would think that actors who are, you know, have it all together. I mean, actors are rock stars. I mean, <laughs> people just looking at everything about them. And they're always killing themselves. Did you know I have these same feelings of, of, of insecurity? These same feelings of low self-esteem? And I have to remind myself, I live not because of myself, but for Him. And you'd look, what did I, why you? I mean, you've accomplished this, you've got all these publications. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care about the publications. 
I live because He lives. I live because He lives. This takes the pressure off of us. This is why you're alive. And if you ever again have a thought of suicide, remember this. You live because He lives. It's not about you anymore. You live for Him. When you believe in Him, because He lives, you live. This is why we have life. It's about Him. This is why the world is the way it is in the sense that we have been put here to represent Him. We've been put here. I mean, I have all these crazy thoughts. It's like, why, why are we this shape? I mean, why do we, why do we have two eyes and not four? Why do we, you know, trying to think about biologically. Why we, you know, just these little alterations in DNA would, would just do all, why is it that, because this is what God has chosen. We live because He lives. This is the way it is. And let this bring you hope and security that we live because He lives. We live for Him. You, we have life in Him. As He says, that believing you may have life in His name. He takes our simple little biological life and puts eternal meaning on it when we get to know Him. And this is why, if you've not yet received Him, open up your heart this day and receive Him into your heart. Because He lives, you can live also. That believing you may have life in His name, so that everything now is changed. All these feelings of low self-esteem, He can then change in you. That because He lives, you will live also. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. And I pray, Lord, for these young people, for those who have struggled with thoughts of suicide and even attempted it, some of them. Father, I pray that they would take hold of this verse and always remember that because He lives, I live also. That believing they have life in His name. It's in His name they have life. Father, give them a new hope through this. Father, for those that do not know You, Lord, I pray that this day they would say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me and come into my life. And that as, I, as they receive You, that they would understand the new life, the new life in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for these young people that You would cause them to pick up their role within the body of Christ in some measure serving in the church or in a campus group serving and inviting in others to not be selfish with the truth that they know but to share this truth with others by inviting them in. Abba Father and through that open them up I pray. Have mercy on these young people. Do a great work in their lives for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.